Chapter Thirteen of The Browns at Mount Hermon, by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirteen, Mister Brown to the Rescue. Mrs. Roberts and Mary Brown were both in that end of the large tent which they chose to name the pantry, engaged in making cake. Mary, as she carefully stirred the white mass which Mrs. Roberts's knowledge and skill had got together, let her thoughts wander to the girls and the trouble which was evidently upon at least a few of them. The tell-tale eyes of Alice Upton, the tall, fair girl, had plainly shown that morning that she had been crying, and even Lida Brownson's usually bright face wore a gravity that was marked. As for Betty Lewis, the girl whom they had named Chief Slammer, she dashed about with more noise than usual, and a flash in her eyes that meant indignation. Mrs. Roberts, while she measured the flour and powder and butter for another of her great loaves of cake, with the precision and skill of one accustomed to the work, wore a thoughtful pucker between her eyes that was never produced by cake-making. Something was the matter. Mary Brown pondered it with an anxiety that, if she had taken thought for herself, might have amused her. How strangely she was entering into the lives of these people, so that in a new and interesting sense their very troubles were her own. While she considered, Mr. Brown came with the morning mail. "'Here is your cherished herald, Mrs. Roberts,' he said, as he laid a package of letters before Miss Brown. Mrs. Roberts sighed. "'Put it over on the table, will you, Mr. Brown, or on the shelf there, anywhere. I don't seem to care much what becomes of it this morning. I've got something else to think about.' Mr. Brown, who had turned to leave the room, came back a step or two, and surveyed the elder woman with an inquiring smile on his face. "'That sounds alarming,' he said. "'What can be the matter? The cake isn't far enough advanced to declare itself heavy, is it?' "'The cake isn't going to be heavy,' said the housekeeper, with a significant toss of her head. "'My cake never is, nor Mary's either. She's got a knack that goes ahead of mine, I really believe. But there are some hearts that are going to be heavy before this day is done. They are heavy enough now, for that matter. Don't you think it is most too bad to have her plans upset like this?' leading them into temptation, one may say, instead of helping them, as she meant to do. "'It sounds bad, certainly. May I stir that mixture Miss Brown has in her bowl while you tell me about it? Her hand is plainly not strong enough to do it well, and mine is aching for exercise.' "'She does it beautifully every time,' said Mrs. Roberts, jealous for the skill of her handmaid. "'But it is hard work, that's a fact, and if you are of a mind to give it a stir or two, it will help along a good deal, and Mary can be beating the oaks for the gold cake. Why, you've heard about the doings tonight, of course.' "'You haven't! And haven't you either, Mary? Well, now that's strange. I thought the girls had told you all about it, of course. And Miss Haddon is so kind of used to depending on Mr. Brown to help her out that I supposed she would go to him first thing. Why, you know her boys, Bible-class boys, that she had come down for a three days' visit. They are good fellows, every one of them, and they have to work hard and don't get many outings, and she thought if she could give them three whole days in a place like this it might do wonders for them. Alice Upton's brother is one of them, you know, and poor Alice is breaking her heart over him this morning and there she was, tickled to death at the thought of his coming. It does seem too bad." Mrs. Roberts had her own way of telling a story. The cake-stirrer and egg-beater could only exchange amused smiles and wait until she rounded the corners and came upon the main theme. "'And there's Will Holden, an easily tempted fellow as ever was, and he has a cousin in Carmen College, it seems. A pretty hard fellow, Alice Upton thinks. She knows his folks, and she says they are dreadfully worried about him, and he is always getting into scrapes. One of the kind that gets others in trouble and slips out of it himself, I guess. He's a summer school boy, but that maybe is chiefly because he earns his board by working in the family of one of the professors, and they like to have him around summers, too. 
Well, what does he do when he hears that his cousin is up here at Mount Hermon for a few days, but get up a party of some of the summer school boys and some of the village boys and come down here for a frolic, and invite not only Will Holdham but all of Miss Haddon's boys to join them? They are coming to that redwood campground just above us and are going to have a bonfire and set the whole forest on fire, maybe, and play a game of cards by the light of it, and they play for money, too. And Alice says her brother just simply can't keep from playing when he is where they are, though he has promised his father that he won't touch them. They are going to bring a big basket of champagne along, and there comes in Will Holden's temptation, as well as another boy who is Lida Brownson's cousin and is just like her brother. The girls are all worked up about it, and our Betty, who thinks Will Holden is the very nicest boy in the whole world when he is nice, is just in a rage and thinks something ought to be done about it. But there, what can we do? We don't own the Redwood Grove, I wish to goodness we did, and we can't prevent their coming out there for a frolic and inviting our boys to join them. I don't see a living thing that can be done except to coax the boys not to go, which won't do a mite of good, but it does seem too bad." Mr. Brown stirred the smooth mass with strong, skillful hand and spoke no word for several minutes. "'But he was thinking all the while,' Mrs. Roberts explained afterwards. "'It beats all how he thinks out things. I felt better the minute I saw the look come on his face which showed that he had taken hold of it.' At last came his question. "'How would it answer, do you think, to meet the enemy on his own ground?' Mrs. Roberts stayed her busy hands on the sides of her bowl, while she looked at him wonderingly. "'How do you mean?' Mr. Brown glanced at Mary Brown and laughed. "'I was wondering,' he said, "'what sort of a scheme it would be to work up the hint they have given us, and include them. We are so much interested in our meetings here that we have given very little attention to social functions. What if we could give up this evening to pure fun? Have a gathering on the Zianti lawn, which is far more attractive than the Redwood Grove across the way decorate the trees and the porches and all other available places with Chinese lanterns, plan for the finest bonfire that our splendid brush heaps suggest, and serve unlimited sandwiches, cake, coffee, and anything else that could be gathered in haste, and that is calculated to tempt the appetite of the average boy. Then we could send a deputation to meet the train and kidnap the crowd as our honored guests, meeting their spirit of frolic and good time at least halfway. I chanced to hear, just as I came over here, that there had been a telegram received from the speaker promised for this evening, to the effect that sudden illness in his family would prevent his coming, so perhaps the management would take kindly to some such scheme under the circumstances. If they should do so, do you suppose the ladies could manage their part on such short notice?" Mrs. Roberts's face answered for her. It beamed with delight, and suggested energy enough in reserve to meet any emergency. "'Isn't that the greatest?' she began with the delight, but energy overtook it, and she branched off to say, "'Of course we could. Why, I can bake biscuits for them all day as well as not in rolls, or I can make cake and cook meat. I can do all of them, for that matter, and so will Mrs. Peck and Aunt Lucy Forbes and the Jones girls and all the rest of them. You can count on us, Mr. Brown. We'll get up a regular feast and treat them so well that they will want to come again. Maybe they can be made to understand what Mount Hermon is after a while. It's the nicest kind of a way to circumvent them, and it's just exactly like you, isn't it, Mary?' The cheeks of the industrious egg-beater grew pinker, and she did not raise her eyes to the amused ones that she knew were watching her, but Mrs. Roberts gave no heed to either of them. She dipped her compound into its tins with rapid hand, and continued her comments. "'I guess we all need a little fun. It will be good for my girls, I know, every one of them. If you'll get them to agree to it, Mr. Brown, I'll go right out and see the women and begin our part. There is no time to lose, but you can count on me being ready for the spread when the time comes.' Mr. Brown understood Mrs. Roberts's peculiar method of speech, and knew that he was to get the management, and not her girls, to agree to it, so he went at once to his appointed task. The management met him more than halfway. The evening was unexpectedly free, they had been trying to plan what should be done with it, and something must be done, of course, about those college boys. They were handicapped because they did not own the Redwood Grove and could not control it. They hailed Mr. Brown's idea with joy. He had not been among them for these weeks without their discovering, at least to some extent, 
what manner of man he was, and with great unanimity and heartiness they put themselves under his lead, promising to help carry out his suggestions to the utmost of their ability, and turning over to his control all the resources of the grounds. It is doubtful if Mr. Brown, being used to busy days, ever lived through a busier one than that eventful Saturday suddenly became. His original idea kept growing on his hands. Nearly everyone with whom he talked offered a suggestion that added to the charm of the occasion, and also to the work. The young people generally received him with acclamation. Oh, yes, indeed, they would help. They would sing, they would recite, they would get up charades, they would make taffy, they would do anything in the world to help make the evening a success. My Aileen, said Mrs. Roberts, is just as interested as she can be. She is going to sing some of those funny little glee club songs for them. Mr. Brown asked her if she would. He thinks she has a voice of great promise. He told me so. It is the first thing on these grounds that she has been downright interested in. She says this is something like, and she didn't know it could ever happen here. She thought that most of the folks who come here considered it wicked to have any fun. The idea! I don't see where the child got such queer notions. I'm sure I like fun first-rate, or would, if any came my way. I don't have time to go out hunting it, and I shouldn't like it for a steady meal either, as some folks seem to." There was a moment's pause, and the next sentence was prefaced with a little sigh. "'I don't suppose you think it is any great thing to be glad over that the child is interested in the kind of evening we are planning for, and I don't believe I could make you understand what it is to me to have her one with us for once. I'm so kind of lonesome for her sometimes that it most seems as though I couldn't stand it if she wasn't converted right away. But there, even the Lord can't do that for her if she won't let him." It was Mary Brown to whom she was confiding this word. In truth, Mary was the one in these days to whom she talked oftenest, right from her heart, as she expressed it, and that young woman was rapidly becoming a formidable rival of Mr. Brown in the good woman's confidence. She felt as she listened a curious sense of indignation toward that winsome butterfly Aileen. How could the child be willing to ignore her mother's yearning hopes and pay so little attention to her tender, wistful efforts? "'If I had a mother,' began the girl, and then her face crimsoned under the goad of her conscience. Intellectually, at least, did she not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as one who yearned over souls, and was he to have less consideration than a human friend? If the men were busy that day, what shall be said of the women? Mrs. Roberts had judged them well, not one failed her, and the baking and boiling and stewing that went on with unremitting energy all that day resulted in such bounty that the few men who were allowed peeps into pantries stood amazed before the array." Really, said Mr. Brown as he surveyed the rows upon rows in Mrs. Roberts's pantry, having just come from a similar experience at Aunt Lucy Forbes's tent, I believe we could entertain the standing army tonight. We are going to entertain an army of college boys, said Mrs. Roberts quickly, and they are worse. Dinner at Mount Hermon that evening was a secondary matter, to be disposed of with as little ceremony as possible. The guests, to a man and woman, were interested in the evening's program, large numbers of them having contributed in some way to its success. The table-waiters at Mrs. Roberts's especially were jubilant. The fair Alice's eyes shone as though they had never thought of tears. "'Isn't he the grandest man?' she said, catching at Mary Brown's arm as she was passing, her eyes meantime fixed on the distant form of Mr. Brown as he strode across the lawn, intent on some last effort. "'I never knew before how much one person could accomplish when he really set about it. He is just the center of this whole thing, do you know it? He has been everywhere today and attended personally to everything. And the boys like him so much, they have been with him all day long, you know. Will Holden says he has had them in training, showing them how to do two things at once and plan a third. Some of the girls were wondering what we would do if the college boys declined our invitation after all. And my brother Ben spoke up just as quick. Of course they'll accept, he said. If they don't, we'll punch their heads for them. He's only a boy, you know, and oh dear, I was so worried about him this morning. I felt responsible, you see, and that made it so much worse. 
It seemed to me that I could never go home and meet poor Papa if he got into disgrace here, after my coaxing so hard to have him come. Now I believe everything will go right, don't you? If Mr. Brown should get a permanent hold on my brother, I could go down on my knees to him in gratitude. What a splendid thing it must be to be that kind of a man. Lida Brownson came up to them, all but breathless with haste. They have gone to meet the train, she said. Mr. Brown and all the boys who were invited to their frolic this evening, and they are just as full of fun, the boys are, as they can be. How they have entered into the spirit of it all. Mr. Brown has got hold of them some way. Even that slippery little Tommy Adams that we were afraid would spoil it all told me he considered that brown fellow a brick. I suppose in his vernacular that is high praise. End of chapter 13